Revelation chapter 2, we'll be reading verse 8 through 11. The second letter to the churches in Asia, as recorded by John on the Isle of Patmos, as the Lord came to him and gave him these letters to write. We saw in the letter last week from Ephesus that they had lost their first love, and it was the it was the focus, I believe, of the letter. Certainly there were other things that were said, but perhaps the most essential message that was to be gleaned was the reality that they had walked away and abandoned their first love. This letter today is a very different one, um, but I think also one that would certainly help us as we would address it today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, and I might pause just very briefly, the angel, it seems to me that this is the pastor of the church in Smyrna. There are multiple interpretations of what the, angel, the angels of these letters are. It is my opinion that it is referring to the pastors. Others have seen that as well. I believe the balance of scholarship seems to support that. So uh, that is who is the direct addressee of these letters. But of course, as the pastor was to then pass these, these words along to the church of which he was a pastor. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The title for the thought today is From Bad to Worse to Better. From Bad to Worse to Better. John writing to a church about which, by the way, there is nothing by way of reproach said from the Lord. There's no correction offered to the church in Smyrna. He tells them that he recognizes that things are bad. He tells them, but in some ways they're going to get worse. But doesn't leave them there, shows them that there is a better beyond it all. We look out in the world today and we hear it said, and I don't guess it's untrue to say it. It seems like things are pretty bad right now. Wars that have been going on that are beginning anew. There's sickness. There's, there's seemingly a drifting away of our nation. In fact, probably can say it much more strongly than that, but we won't. A drifting away from God and Christ and his word in our nation. It doesn't seem like we're a nation who, 
whose DNA is one of a Christian ethic and worldview any longer. And it seems like things are bad. And, and they are, I suppose. But we need to remember that they can and often do get worse before they get better. And we probably even heard that from a, a physical reality where some sickness or injury, we're told by the doctor, it's, it's bad, the pain's bad, but it, it's going to get worse before it, before it gets better. And I think that is a little of the, the lesson that Jesus is giving to the church, the believers, the followers in Smyrna. That it's bad now, and he's going to talk about that. It's going to get worse, but then it's going to get better. And I think that is a perspective on the Christian life that is healthy for us to possess. And I want to speak about that today, if, if the Lord will help. Jesus tells John to write these words, these words of the first and the last we talked about that last week in the first chapter, how the Lord had come to John himself and said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And, and we talked about everything in between. Christ points this out now specifically to the church in Smyrna, that he is the first and the last. And, and here we're not told merely that Jesus is the first and the last, but these are the words of the one who is the first and last. Jesus, with the Father and the Holy Spirit, spoke the first words that were ever spoken in the world, and they will together speak the final words that will be spoken as they bring judgment upon this world and bring all things to a conclusion. It was the Lord, it was God who spoke everything into existence, and it will be the Lord who judges and brings everything to a close and to a conclusion. These are his words. Men and women have spoken and will yet speak many countless words in between. There are going to be many things that man says, but our words are not the first and they will not be the last. Those are, are the Lord's. His will be the first word. His will be the last word. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess this, that he is Lord and he will declare it to be at an end. We read in the Old Testament about a man who experienced life going from bad to worse to better. And as I looked at this letter and studied it, I saw so many examples in the rest of Scripture of how this pattern repeats itself again and again from bad to worse to better. We read of a man in the Old Testament who experienced very much the same thing. You might know who I am talking about. His name was Job. Things went from bad to worse for him and then to better. And in the midst of his trial, in the midst of things as they went from bad to worse, his friends had advice they had opinions, they had words, they had wisdom to share. They were sure they knew what was going on with Job and were not shy 
to share their wisdom and advice with him. If you read the book of Job, much of it is a conversation between Job and these three friends, really the fourth as well, but these three, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, they seemed to have in their understanding, they thought they knew the final word. They knew in their mind what was going on with Job and what the problem was. Eliphaz, in essence, said, Listen to me, Job. The innocent will prosper. That's essentially what he said. That's what Eliphaz responded to Job. And Job's in the midst of this terrible trial. We know all about it. Anyone who's read the book knows everything has been taken from him, even his health, his family, his children. His wife has looked at him and said, just curse God and die. He's in the midst of the worst trial of his life. And here are men with words of advice. And Eliphaz says, look, Job, the innocent prosper. So, because you are not prospering, you must not be innocent. Bildad said, listen to me, Job. It's clear you've sinned greatly and you need to repent. But you see, that was not the first and the last word about this trial that Job was enduring. Zophar says, Job, you need to listen to me. You deserve what you're getting and worse yet. That was really the advice, the counsel, the wisdom, the words of these friends of Job. And in a moment of sarcasm, in the verse 2 of chapter 12, Job says this to these three friends, who seemed to think they understood what was going on, who seemed to have all the answers. Job says to them this, No doubt, you are the people, and wisdom will die with you. The moment of sarcasm and frustration, he says that to these three friends. He's listening to them, and by the way, for the first two weeks, these friends did well. They came, and they saw their friends suffering, and it says they simply sat with him. It was when their words began to be uttered that things started to take a turn in the wrong direction. Job listening to them, Job knew that they knew nothing about what was really going on, and their words betrayed it. Job, looking at Eliphaz, might say, Eliphaz, you say the innocent will prosper? True. That's true. But I wasn't innocent before this trial. He knew already he needed a redeemer. Bildad, you say I must repent? True. But that has always been the case, and there is no sin that God has revealed to me that is the cause of this trial. You say there's something I must repent of, for clearly it seems to you that must be the case. And yet Job knew he didn't know what he was talking about. To Zophar, who told him, you deserve this and worse, Job might have said, true. But I have found grace and mercy in God through his promised Redeemer who will come. I have never stood before God on my own righteousness, but upon his. So man has all these words to share. But this letter that we're reading today is from the one, the first, and the last. And these are his words. The words of Job's friends in his trial were not the first words in Job's trial. The first words in his trial were were from God. Were they not? 
In Job chapter 1, verse 8, these are the words of the Lord who said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? These were the first words of Job's trial, unknown to him at the time, and certainly unknown to Job's friends. The man seems to think we have the words of wisdom, that our words are the first and the last on a matter, and they have not ever been, and they will not ever be. The first and the last words on any matter will be God's. And certainly, the words to the church are his. The final words in Job's trial, in 42 verse 7, the Lord spoke these words to Job. After he had spoken to Job, the Lord turns to Eliphaz and he says, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. The first and the last words in Job's trial were from the Lord, and the first and the last words from the struggles in Smyrna were the Lord's, and the first and the last words in your struggles and mine will be the Lord's, not ours. Not those who might even counsel us. Even those who might offer and proffer good counsel that's counsel, no doubt, then from God. Do not forget, through all of what we're going to see here in Smyrna, that the Lord is the one who will have the first and the last words about their situation, their circumstances, and again, about ours as well. Whether those around you are speaking words of comfort or condemnation, their words were not the first and they will not be the last. The words we need to be most concerned with are the words of God, the one who is the first and the last, the one who died and came to life. Things went from bad to worse for Christ himself in his earthly life as well for 33 years. Some years, things seemed to, for him to go from bad to worse. He left heaven to come to earth. That certainly seems to be going from good to bad. In one sense, he traded a throne there for a stable here. He traded worship there for mockery here. He was cast out by the people he grew up among in Nazareth. They would have killed him had he not uh, miraculously escaped from them, the very people that he saw and, and knew uh, walking up and down the streets of that place he grew up, cast out by them, misunderstood by his brothers, his own brothers in his own house, misunderstood as well by uh, those around him, denied at the end by his closest of followers, left alone to be beaten and mocked and crucified on the cross. Things for our Lord and Savior in his entire life seemed to go from bad to worse. But then it got better. But in our lives, we can get wrapped up and we can only focus upon sometimes the bad to worse. And we feel that, and, and the Lord's going to recognize that. He's going to acknowledge it, that it's, a, it's the reality for the church in Smyrna. But he himself is our pattern in this. Job was another pattern for us. David is another pattern of times when things went from bad to worse before they got better. Abraham, I mean countless stories. It seems like this is the picture of the Christian life. Things seem to go 
from bad to worse. And in the midst of all of that, there'll be people with all kinds of counselors and advisors. There'll be popular cults, uh, stars in, uh, in the world and, and with lots of money and lots of influence. And they'll say, just, just live for yourself. They'll, do, they'll have all kinds of things to tell you, but their words are not the first and they will not be the last. This is the one writing who has died and is alive again. We follow one who has walked the road we are now walking. One who knows what it means that things will get worse before they get better. One who knows the way to God, to peace and safety, to life. The one who has and is the first and last and who was the first and has, and has the first and last words on every matter under heaven, including our individual lives. This is the one we follow. He's not oblivious to what this experience is. And so because of this, we have hope and assurance that all will be well when all is finally settled in our lives here because Christ is going to have the last word. This world will not. Our troubles will not. Our own failures will not. When every word, every thought, every deed has been said, thought, and accomplished, and the last words from Christ will be spoken of our lives here, all will be well. And it may have gone from bad to worse in our life, but then it gets better, unimaginably so. Those last words that I anticipate hearing, and maybe we can call them the last words here and the first words there, Matthew 25, verse 34, I will hear these words from my king, not because of my goodness, certainly, but because of his. Jesus says the king will say to those on his right, after he has separated the sheep from the goats, the believers from the unbelievers, the saved from the lost, I anticipate hearing this final word here and first word there from him, the one who's first and last, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That will be the last words I hear here and the first ones there. In the meantime here, things seem to go from bad to worse. But I know that one day they are going to get better. Do you have that kind of assurance in your own heart? Long after the bones of this body have turned to dust and your memory has been wiped from the minds of everyone that is on the face of the earth, long after all of that is gone and millions of years after that, do you have an assurance that the final word from God himself will be, it is well, come and enter in the kingdom prepared for you? Or do you have nothing more than a promise of bad to worse to even Worse than that. Have things gone from bad to worse in your life? And yet you, you have assurance that in the end, God is going to bring you home to be with him. Then I rejoice with you as I share that same blessing. But again, maybe you don't even have that assurance that one day it will get better. Better beyond your wildest dreams and imagination. This is the one who's writing this is the one who has the first and the last words in our life. And he's going to tell them this, essentially, as we look at it here. 
Things are bad. They're going to get worse, but then they're going to get better. Thankfully, beyond this first and last words, the Lord often speaks to us in between as well, if we'll listen. Maybe he has some words for you today from this letter. And what does he say? He says, I know your tribulation. Tribulation is just trouble involving suffering. He knows their trouble and their suffering and their persecution. The Lord is aware of it. There was not a single moment of it that escaped his attention. As he looked from on high down upon his followers in Smyrna, he says, I have seen, I know it, I know your tribulation. Your tribulation has not escaped my attention. I know every tear, I know every moment of darkness that you've ever spent. I know those moments when you felt alone, when you were not. I know those moments when you felt like giving up and I carried you even when you couldn't carry yourself. I know every moment of every difficulty and every trial that you have ever endured and I walked that road myself. I know about it. Sometimes just knowing someone else knows what we're going through can be a help and encouragement even if they can't fix it. To know that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who died for us on a cross to carry us home one day to heaven, that he knows our tribulation and our struggle should at least in the midst of those tears bring some calmness and settledness and settledness and peace to our hearts. This one who knows what it means for things to go from bad to worse. Surely knowing that the Lord knows all about it is encouraging to us, and no doubt it was for the church in Smyrna. He knows. He is aware. And he also knows about their poverty, he says. And this word in the Greek, poverty, it's actually a different word than is most often translated and thought of as poverty. It's, it's a more extreme version of complete destitute conditions. It's a state of not having barely enough, but not having enough. Insufficient food, insufficient clothing. I know your trials and your tribulation, and I know your poverty. I am aware of the physical things in this life that you are without that would bring comfort to your bodies. I know it. Beyond that, he says, I know the slander of those who call themselves Jews that aren't. I've heard it. I've heard it come from their mouth. Slanders to speak against someone in such a way as to harm or injure their reputation. You know, it's, it's bad enough to suffer tribulation and poverty, isn't it? It's bad enough to go through that, but it gets worse, doesn't it, in some ways, when slander is just salt in the wound. Going through difficult trials and, and troubles as these Smyrna Christians were, and here were their, quote, Jews coming along and on top of it all, slandering them. I think it likely that those who slandered the Christians in Smyrna used their troubles and used their poverty as witnesses against them, much like Job's friends did. In examining the circumstantial evidence in Job's life and the lives of the Christians in Smyrna, many around them would have slandered them and says, you people clearly don't understand what's going on. Look at these poor, pathetic Christians, those Jews might have said. They are clearly not blessed. They're clearly not endorsed by God. Look at the trials they're in. 
So the trials and the trouble and the poverty and the slander, it's bad. It's bad. And yet, in this letter, as I said, there is no rebuke, only encouragement and instruction. Though men said many accusatory and hurtful things about them, the Lord had no such words for his followers in Smyrna. He marked nothing that he had against them. It is too common, I think. It is too common a situation that tribulation and poverty and mistreatment accompany the Christian in this life along with a godliness and spiritual health. It's too common for those things to be together for us to ignore the correlation. Few, William Gurnall said this, few are made better by prosperity whom afflictions make worse. Few, I'll say it again because I had to read it a few times to really let it sink in. Few are made better by prosperity whom afflictions make worse. It is too common a situation for troubles and tri trials and poverty and persecution in this life. It is so often accompanied by a right relationship with God that we cannot ignore the correlation. We cannot ignore the relationship between the two. And I am not saying to go seek these other things. I am saying to seek the friendship of God will make you and I an enemy of the world. Those are not my words. Those are Jesus' words. Those are the words of Scripture. We'll see later if we continue on. The Lord continues down this path with us in the church of Laodicea. They were kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, the other side of the coin. They thought they were rich and they were poor. Here in Smyrna, they were poor and yet they were rich. The Lord does now turn to some instruction for these people. He's got nothing negative to say to them, but he's got some words of instruction to give. Some things for them to understand. It's bad. He noted it. I've seen the poverty. I've seen the tribulation. I've heard the slander. I know you're in a difficult spot. I know things are bad, but it's going to get worse, he says in, in so many words. Do not fear the coming suffering. This suffering is coming. I should have looked it up to confirm, but if my memory is correct, and I recall accurately, the pastor in Smyrna was a man by the name of Polycarp who would go to his death as a martyr. Jesus writes to them and says, Do not fear the coming suffering. It's bad now. It's going to get worse. It's coming. In our world today, in our life, in the United States of America, whatever it, it is that we are now, because whatever we are now, we were, is not what we were historically. Whatever we are now, whatever's coming, I, I, I do think it likely, it's bad now. It's going to get worse. And I don't want to be a doomsday prophet because, listen, that's not the title. The title is not from bad to worse. The title of this message and the sense of this letter is from bad to worse to better. There is a better that's coming. But for now, we need to be prepared. It's bad now. It's going to get worse. The Christians in Smyrna might have thought it was as bad as it was going to get. And yet here, Jesus himself writes to them to warn them and to prepare them that what is coming 
becomes worse. What is on the future? What is on the horizon? What is around the corner? Jesus says, it's worse. Yeah, you're poverty-stricken. Yes, you are. There's tribulation and troubles in your life. Of course, these people are saying terrible things about you and they're slandering you. What's coming is worse. They're going to put you in prison. They're going to take your life. And there's nothing that you can do to avoid it. You can't go around it. You can't go over it. You can't go under it. You can only go through it. Charles Simeon wrote, Persecution for righteousness' sake is what every child of God must expect. And that is just words that are supported by Scripture where we are told from Paul to Timothy that all who live godly will suffer persecution. It's bad. It's going to get worse. Thomas Watson said it this way, persecution is the legacy bequeathed by Christ to his people. Christ's redemption did not redeem this world or our earthly lives in that sense that it would free us from tribulation and trial. He redeemed things far more eternal than that, namely our souls. It's going to get worse, yet while it gets worse, it is going to be limited in scope. He says it is going to be for 10 days. It's not a literal 10 days, as so many numbers in Revelation are not to be interpreted literally. In fact, if you go back in the Old Testament, you'll see many times where the, the, the period of time called 10 days is used as, a, as not a literal period of time, but a reality that it is for a set amount of time. It's gonna, it has a beginning, and it's going to have an end. It's for 10 symbolical days, a symbolical period of time, meaning again that it's going to have its beginning. It's going to have its end. It's going to get worse, though it's bad now. It's going to get worse, but that is going to be limited in its scope. It's not going to last forever. And skipping ahead to the end, those who endure the second death, that is going to last forever. But this persecution, this getting bad to worse, is not going to last forever. It's not going to go on and on and on. And yet, while it has its limits, those limits are not in this life. Because he says to these believers in Smyrna, be faithful unto death. Be faithful unto death. It's easy to be faithful when the sun is shining. Your friends are all around. Persecution is unknown. The bank account and our bellies are both full. Our beds are warm. The church pews are occupied. Our children are healthy and strong. Our plans are coming together. It's really easy to be what we would call faithful in the midst of those circumstances. And you want to listen to the false prophet and they'll say that's exactly what God wants to give you here. And it is a, a lie as deep a lie as one could ever be told. It doesn't sound like Christ to me. He says it's bad and it's going to get worse. It's easy to be faithful in the midst of all of that, but it might be said that such faithfulness, quote-unquote, is no real faithfulness at all, as there is nothing that threatens our professed faith in Christ. 
A Christianity that costs nothing is a Christianity where faithfulness is not possible and where there is no faith, there is no pleasing of God according to Scripture. It's bad. It's going to get worse. Be faithful unto death, and it might be where you're called to go in my name's sake. Persecution, J.C. Ryle says, is like the goldsmith's hallmark on real silver and gold. It is one of the marks of a converted man. Though there is nothing that we can do to avoid it, we can and should be prepared for what's coming. And the Lord will prepare you. I cannot tell you how many times that I have walked a road in my life that I can see how God in the past has prepared me for that very road. And in the moments of preparation, I knew not what he was doing. I didn't know. Oh, for the time, say he would have prepared me better had I listened and walked where he would have sent. We must prepare. We must be ready for it. We can't avoid it. We can and should do that very thing. Prepare for it. Prepare by realizing it might and likely will get worse than it is today. For the follower of Christ in our nation, in our time in 2023 and shortly 2024, if God delays the Lord's return, it very likely will get worse. But... I am not telling us to be people uh, with doomed attitudes and heads low and shoulders slouched and hearts destitute. In this preparation for things going from bad to worse, we must realize that then it is going to get ultimately much better. The Lord will return. Or we will leave this world. One of the two is going to happen. And we will be with him. Our experiences of bad to worse are temporary. And the better is eternal. This is what Jesus points us to him. Or points out to, to this church in Smyrna. This is the words he gives to them to encourage them. And then he gives them promise. He said, endure to the end, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the, the crown of life. Poverty stricken now, in trials now, slandered now. It's going to get worse. Some of you are going to be thrown in prison. Some of you are going to give your life for my sake. It's bad. It's going to get worse. <laughs> oh, it's going to get better. Do you realize that if you are a child of God and you go from bad to worse situation here in this life, do you remember and realize that the end of it, you're going to receive the crown of life from Jesus Christ himself? He's going to give it to you. That better is so far beyond any trial that we have here, as Paul said it this way, I count these afflictions light. I count them as nothing next to the glories of Christ. We might be like Lazarus, the beggar in this life, but we will not be like the rich man in the next. Lazarus died and opened his eyes in heaven. The rich man died and opened his eyes in hell. 
Things in the rich man's life may have gone from good to better. More and more wealth and more and more towers to build, more and more influence to have, more and more names with your name, more and more buildings with their name on it, more and more people applauding them and flocking to them, but they closed their eyes here and seemingly in this life it all went from good to better and best and then they die and people think what a wonderful life they lived and yet the reality of it, it went from good to better to best to horrifically bad. And yet no one sees it. No one considers it because we're so consumed with this life only. The Lord gives some general admonition and we'll, be, we'll work toward our close. You, he who has an ear, let him hear. You and I have ears today, but will we hear? Will we go on about our lives ignorant and unprepared for the reality of our Christian lives in this world where it could and likely will go from bad to worse and yet we know we'll end in better? The persecution and trial of the church in Smyrna had a limit. It's 10 days. It's going to have a start. It's going to have an end. I mean, This is going to go on, but it's not going to go on and on and on. It would not touch them, could not touch them after their deaths in this world because they were not subject to the second death, which is eternal death without Christ. Eternal separation from light, life, joy. No persecution here, no situation of bad to worse here will ever compare to the sorrows, grief, and torments of hell. It won't even register, no matter how horrible it might be. The persecuted Christian, the poverty-stricken Christian, the slandered Christian, when his or her eyes are seeing rightly, they understand that the persecutor is facing a far worse condemnation than they themselves ever will. They know who's got worse coming. And so it isn't retribution that they seek. And like so many martyrs, so many martyrs would say, and their last words were prayers for those taking their lives because they knew. For them, it was going to go from bad to worse, but they were just, they were at the footsteps of better, eternal better. But they knew the ones who were doing their, the sinful act of taking their life, they knew what they were facing. And so they would, like Stephen, God forgive them. As the Lord himself showed on the cross, forgive them. That's when you know you're thinking rightly. It's bad now for the follower of Christ in this world, I should say. It's bad. There's, some, there's trouble. It's been worse, worse in the past, I believe, if histories that have read and understood is accurate. It's been worse in the past. I believe it can and likely will get worse in the future. The road of Christianity has been paved with the blood of countless martyrs. This is an idea very foreign to us today 
in our nation. Thankfully, thanks be to God for the protecting hand against persecution he has given to us. But there's a man by the name of Thielman J. Von Brat. You probably heard more commonly of Fox's, John Fox's Book of Martyrs. Very, very well known. Less known is Thielman J. Von Brat's Martyr's Mirror in 1660. So working on four centuries ago, he wrote a book about martyrs and it contained over a thousand pages accounting Christian martyrdom. I believe as bad as it appears now, we must look back at history, more importantly to God and to the word of God and realize that it can and perhaps likely it will get worse, but also believe that after it goes from bad to worse, it is going to be unendingly and unimaginably better for those who know the Lord. Whatever cross you're carrying, bear it and prepare for it to get heavier. But gain strength from the knowledge that it is going to be better. What follows the bearing of the cross here will be joy unspeakable and full of glory. If you're finding yourself <clears throat> not carrying a cross, not bearing some burden, whatever the burden is that God would have for you in your life, do not narrow it to commonly thought things. What cross does God have for you to bear? If you're not carrying one, I would ask you to pray to God and likely you're going to need to ask him to forgive you because there's some cross I believe that he has for you to bear and then bear it, pick it up with a heart full of love of God who will take you to a far better home and far more riches than this world ever could. Carry your cross as I close with these words, knowing the burden will get worse but remembering always that one day the Lord will take the cross he has given you and replace it with a crown. It's going to go from bad to worse, and then it's going to get better. This is the mindset that the Lord wanted his church in Smyrna to have. The Christian life only makes sense when it is lived, not for this life's sake. It doesn't make sense in any other way. We realize and understand the bad doors, and we long for, anticipate, and are assured of the better. And so we smile and cry tears of pain, yes, but mixed in there are tears of joy in anticipating what the Lord has for those who know him and know that they are protected from the second death. And if you are not protected from that and you do not know the Lord, that is a far more concerning thing, far more concerning than any affliction that we might experience here. From bad to worse to better. Pray the Lord to be with his word and sing a song.